Welcome to the Rock Hill Dream Center Church, where we have a vision to see communities transformed by the gospel as we love, serve, share, and send. Thank you for joining us. Because that's what my family did. Oh, Lord, he's in one of them moves this morning. <laughs> no, it's, um, it is, you know, it's um, a thousand generations, your children and their children. Amen. Hey, man, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to take a drink of this water because I feel like something coming today. I don't know about y'all. Y'all might ought to hold on. I told Tyler Neal, I was like, this is one of the messages that if my phone broke, I wouldn't get nervous. Because this message is so implanted on my brain and my heart that I can't stop thinking about it. And sometimes, y'all don't know it, but I'll be like, I done sent my message to other phones because I don't want to get sidetracked. I'm bad about getting sidetracked. Um, CSI. I don't watch a lot. Barbara's a, we watch a little bit of CSI. We always watch them recorded. We stream them. But is, is anybody, the crime scene shows and everything... Have you ever noticed how the CSIs, are, it's like three or four different stories going on at the same time. You know, you're watching it, but it's like, and here's going on, and this is going on, and this is going on. There's many shows that's where you, that's today's sermon. <laughs> you're gonna have, you better hold on, girl, because I'm telling you, we're fixing to go see, Jesus is fixing to go CSI up in here, because we're going to have a lot of different things going on at one time. And the cool thing about it is, God's going to get all the glory for it. So I, before I even say a word out of the scriptures, I want to ask God to take away every thought and mindset that Paul has. And let's pray together. And let's, can we trust God to do something really, really big in here today? Man, God is already doing something. He is big, but let's let him do something big in our lives that we get to see him move. Amen. Father, we come to you today. As we set to take communion later today, Lord, to just in remembrance of who your son Jesus is and what he does and what he's done and what he will do, that we can't take our minds off of the cross and our need for you through him and the spirit each and every second of every day. So God, I pray right now that you would take every one of my thoughts and my mindsets away from me. Lord, that you would be brought honor through your word and your will be done, Lord. God, let not one word be spoken that is not from you, Father. God, I pray that you would paralyze my tongue if I try to go away from your word today. But Father God, in the same way, I pray that you give my tongue boldness if it is from you. Let it drip with honey that it would transform us to be more like you so that we could be the salt of the earth, the light of this nation, the change that we so desperately want to see in this world. Oh, Father God, we love you. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All the church said. Amen. 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 So. You know, Garrett led us off. Last week, we talked about the Cornelius and, and the reason that we get to, to experience the gospel and God letting the Gentiles experience the gospel. But if you remember back a couple of weeks, Garrett was talking about 
all the things that happened and it ended up with Stephen being stoned. And that led into the church being ravaged by a man named Saul, right? And everybody that's been around church or grew up in the South has heard Saul. He was a man that was really, his mindset was to take and tear this movement apart. Even in Acts 8.3, it says this, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. That sounds like a kind of guy you want to hang out with today after our fellowship together. Somebody who's just wanting to destroy the movement that we so love and are so dear to us. To have a person that might come in your midst or come to your house or come to your neighborhood tonight, drag you out of your home, put you in chains, and throw you into a prison. It's hard for us to fathom. See, in, in the book of Acts in chapter 9, oh, Saul, he's on the road to Damascus. He's going to get even more paperwork and more ammunition in order to do more destruction to the movement. And he's going to just get all these things lined up because Saul was a smart man. And his, his agenda was to destroy this movement. He's on this road to Damascus. And you know what happens? He's riding along and all of a sudden, bam, this light hits him and this voice comes out of the heavens. And it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? And he says, it is Jesus I am Jesus that you are persecuting. And that light blinded Saul to the point where scales came over his eyes. And he had to be led off of this road over into a town. And he got put at a man's house named Judah. And he lay up in the bed, blinded. And all of these thoughts going through his head of what happened. And he starts speaking to God. And as he's speaking to God, God speaks to a man named Ananias. And says, hey, Ananias, um, I need you to go over to Judas's house over on Straight Street. That's the name of the street. Look it up. I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, this story just sticks with me. You need to lay hands on him because he's talking to me right now. You know what Ananias says? You're talking to me, Daddy? <laughs> you don't know this man kills people. He locks up a, he's a bad man. I kind of had to live to that a little bit. But God says, you go and do as I say because I know the work that I have for him. I will show him what he'll have to suffer for my sake. Ananias is obedient, goes and lays hands on Saul the spirit comes over him, the scales fall off of his eyes and he can see. He gets him some food. All of a sudden, he's had a transforming moment. As, as radical as he lived to stamp out the way, the movement, he is radical to share the movement. He's so radical <laughs> 
is that he is proclaiming this in such a way in Damascus that he's putting people in danger. You ever been with that person who's so excited and, and you know that you're fixing to walk into a place and you're like, I don't, I'm just going to confess to y'all sometimes. It's like, this mug is so radical that he's going to be sharing this gospel in places. If you're like, ooh, that stretches me a little bit. Well, he was doing that, but he was doing it boldly to some people who were totally against it to the point where it could have ended many people's lives. So Saul goes over to Jerusalem. You know what's in Jerusalem? Anybody want to know who's in Jerusalem? The leaders. Not only the religious leaders of the law, but I'm talking about the leaders of the movement of Christianity of Jesus Christ. These apostles, these super, they got a headquarters there. I don't know what it looks like, but that's where they're at. You know what they think about when they see Saul? Is he an inferior? Is he just trying to infiltrate us to take us out? They have all these fleshly thoughts start coming to them, right? Like, I, I know this man too. Not only did Ananias, he's right. This guy was bad. And, and now he's, he's saying that, that he's just totally sold out. And they're kind of questioning his motives a little bit. And, and there's a man that, that steps up for him. Who knows his name? Barnabas. Everybody say Barnabas. Barnabas, Barnabas means encourager. The name Barnabas means to encourage. There's a man named Barnabas that speaks up on the behalf of Saul. He says, man, I believe him. I, I see the, the, that something's happened in him. Barnabas defends him. But Saul being who Saul is, he already had him a group of disciples. I'm talking about this... This mug had a follower probably about as big as this church already. He was sharing the gospel. Boy, he was telling people to repent and believe to the point where they were going to kill him. These disciples, you know what they did? They lured him out of a window all the way down a cliff. Had to, had to give him some escape in the night. How great is it that he's sharing his faith so young into it to the point where they're going to take him out and he's having to be lured out of a window by the people that he is discipling. They end up having to send old Saul back up to his hometown. You know where his hometown was? Wasn't Catawba. It's Tarsus. And from Jerusalem to Tarsus is about 500 miles. And that don't mean much to us because we got planes, we got cars, we got motorcycles. Um, about 500 miles by foot is a little way. But they know that Paul need, Saul needed to go somewhere, and they sent him to his hometown. But all those seeds were planted. It flips over to Acts 11. This is a CIS story coming here. Totally takes a different direction. So, Saul's gone, and all these leaders look over at Peter. Like, Peter, what in the world were you doing when you walked up in a man's house that was not a Jew? You walked up in Cornelius' home. Are you crazy? You remember last week's message? Cornelius sent for Peter. Peter comes to Cornelius' home. He comes in. He shares the gospel. All the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. And now the movement is moving in the Gentile 
And they're questioning him. And then Peter goes on to tell them everything that happened about the vision of the sheep with the four corners and all of the animals and the voice saying to go and to kill and eat. And he's like, I'll never eat anything that's not clean. And he does it three times. And Peter then understands that this is God saying that the gospel is for the Gentile. He explains that. And that gets us to the point of where we see the church in Antioch of Syria. And I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. I'm going to move over just a little bit. But Acts 11, 19 through 30. Let's read this together because this is a vital part of this message. Meanwhile, and that's what they would do in CSI. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus Serene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Amen. That's good, good news for us. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Let's make Barnabas our word today. Everybody, Barnabas. Yay, encourager. They sent, him to, they sent that encourager to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Isn't it awesome that when you have someone who is an encourager in your life and they see something that fills them with joy, it just adds fuel to them and they become even a greater encourager. So he was so excited. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw this evidence of God's blessing. He was filled with joy and encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Oh, boy. About 150 miles he was up the road, but he had to go about another 350 miles to get someone he had poured into years before, and that man was Saul. So when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted this by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. I've got to let you know how much this messes with my head because the people that were persecuted that got scattered ended up raising money to send back to Jerusalem and they gave the money to the man that sent them up the road by persecuting them. You can't make this stuff up. 
Saul was the man that the reason that these people were in Antioch and the reason that they knew Jesus Christ was because of Saul standing there and they were laying coats at his feet as they were stoning Stephen. And now, years later, they are giving him money to take back to the leaders in Jerusalem for a famine. That, to me, is pretty big. So the believers that were scattered during the stoning of Stephen were preaching the gospel. Barnabas retrieved Saul. I'm just giving you a recap. Barnabas retrieved Saul to help him in Antioch. He planted seeds in him. At the right time, he went and got him to come and go along with him. A famine is predicted. And Barnabas and Saul take the support to the elders in the church. That leads us into Acts 12. Meanwhile, everybody say, meanwhile. Isn't that fun? Back in Jerusalem, King Herod was going crazy. This man, the king, lit. But where fleshly men get crazy, God shows out. Just wait what I see. Putin went crazy. God go show out. Every time a man on this earth goes crazy, God fixing to do something to get the glory. Just, just watch. It's going to happen. Herod went crazy. God showed out. Well, how did, Gary, um, how did Herod go crazy? Do y'all remember a little flashback to the Gospels when, when these two disciples of Jesus was up beside him? And they were James and John, and they were like, hey, who's going to be the one at your right hand? And they were arguing over it, and the mother came over, and she got all into it. And Jesus said, you don't even know what cup you're asking to drink from. See, when Herod went buck wild, he just now cut James's head off. This is the first noted time that one of the original disciples, one of the 12, he gone. Cut his head off. I guess he's up there sitting, but he's dead. It pleased the people so much that Herod locked Peter up and he was going to put him on trial too after the Passover. Herod wanted to get him some recognition but God had a bigger plan Peter's sitting up in there in jail he got a guard on this side a guard on this side he's chained to both of them outside this cell right here there's two more guards and then there's another block cell angel of the Lord comes and pokes him in the side in the middle of the night just pokes him with a stick like that Steph get up say get up put your sandals on put your robe on come on walks him out Takes him out of between those two guards. Walks him through that door. Walks him past those two guards. Takes him all the way out of the jail cell. He's walking down the street before he figures out that it's not a vision and it really happened. He goes to the house where all of the disciples are feverently praying for him. Knocks on the door. Servant girl comes to the door. She hears his voice from the other side of the door and she gets so excited she forgets to open the door. Anybody ever got that excited? I did that one time, but it was a bill collector. <laughs> Don't open that door. <laughs> Peter, they come and open the door, and there it is. Peter's there. Why is that important in this story? Why did you take such a hard left turn, Paul? Because you need to understand that all of this stuff is taking place to do what? To build the belief of who Jesus Christ was. To build the belief of us. We're the believers that need to see that Jesus Christ is still living and he's still in the business of taking people out of bondage. He's still in the business of saving soldiers that go down in planes. He's still in the business of doing his business. 
But 2,000 years later, it's a story, it's a fable. Oh, Herod, he's fixing to get his. See, because Herod controlled the food for the famine. So a group of people like, we gotta go love on Herod or we ain't gonna get to eat. They put a big assembly together to go talk to him, end up making friends with his assistant. Herod sits down on his throne with everything there and he starts addressing all the people and makes this most elegant speech. He's talking and he's just sounding so grand. The people go, oh, it must be the voice of a God. Little G. And the scripture says that if out of God's wrath that he put worms in him that ate him and killed him. It made me think. This man killed James, locked Peter up, but he took Herod out because he took all of God's praise and glory. Y'all, we've got to understand it ain't about us. We sometimes walk around thinking that it's about us. We've got to get off our high horses. God says, I got a home for you, James, and it ain't down there. I got a home for you, Peter, but it ain't down there. I'm still using you, and that's the only reason I walked you out of jail. But when a man that doesn't know me don't give me praise, I put worms in him, and, and they ate him up. If it's a lie, the scripture said it. And I don't believe the scripture's a lie. Because that's what it said. So, oh, Herod's dead. Barnabas and Saul, meanwhile, go back to Antioch, taking along with them old John Mark. John Mark will show up later on in the book of Acts. But they now have John Mark with them. Barnabas and Saul are back in Antioch. Now let's read now Acts 13, 1 through 13. And this is the point of the entire message. It says, Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Syrian, and Manan, the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul. Saul listed last. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, fasting and prayer before the Lord speaks, fasting and prayer after the Lord speaks, that's pretty cool. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed to the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Ilmus, the sorcerer, which that is his name in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing Saul, also known as Paul, 
Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked at the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. And instantly mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Paul and his companions then left Pappas by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. What does all of that mean? I'm glad you asked. Barnabas, 12 years before, saw something in a man that no one else Saul. No one wanted to give Saul a chance. He was too pushy. He never would stop or listen. He was bold and arrogant. He was just doing his thing to the point that they had to send him back home to Tarsus. And just at the right time, on the right mission trip, at the right moment, the Holy Spirit flipped the light switch off in Saul. And the scriptures say, Saul, who was also known as Paul, that is the very first time in scriptures that this man is recognized by Paul. 12 to 14 years after his conversion, he understands who he is in Christ. 12 to 14 years of people loving him, pouring into him, being aggravated with him, that he is totally about God's business. And it says, Saul, also known as Paul. Why do I say that? Because there's some people in this building right now that are frustrated because they just feel like they failed and nobody believes in them. And you're still on your journey. Your story is still being written. It's just at a place in your journey. No matter if you've messed it up yesterday, no matter what's done happened in the past six months, you can still go forward to understanding what God has for you. Understand that Barnabas, Saul followed every one of these men in. Every parts of the scripture up to now, it's going to talk about Saul is always put last. He's the follower. He's learning. He's being discipled. But you notice after Saul goes off on this sorcerer and blinds him, that he leads these men out. And do you also know by the power of God and only because of God that the th same thing that happened to Saul 12 years prior that he was struck down and blinded and someone had to lead him by the hand he put forth that in the name of Jesus on that sorcerer so the sorcerer was blinded and he had to be led by hand so don't ever think that that sorcerer is an evil person that God can't save because Saul was the same person if not worse Every bit of this has to make sense and has to, to speak. 
Because sometimes after we've gotten saved and delivered and gotten it all right, all of a sudden our past doesn't make any sense, but we want to sure tackle about the sorcerer or the evil person and we'll rebuke them and leave them in the ditch to go to hell. But God said, no, I didn't ask you to rebuke him to send him to hell. I asked you to rebuke him so he'll understand my power. Lead him around by the hand in the dark. And maybe one day he'll pray to me and I'll have someone go lay hands on him and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the scales will fall off his eyes also. Because that's what it is, is if we just gotta cry out to God. That's what Saul did. So three things that we can learn from this story. No matter what your past, God can use you. Second thing is that we never, ever give up on someone even if we have to put them out of our lives for a little while. Barnabas did not give up on Saul even when they sent him to Tarsus. Saul just had to go and marinate a little bit. He had to kind of work it all out a little bit. And God's timing is perfect. We talked about that last week. Just at the right time, when, when Barnabas needed a companion, needed a wingman, he went another 300 miles to retrieve this man for God's good work. Never give up on someone, even if you have to put them out of your life for a time. And the third thing is when discipling a person, please, church, in the name of God, let us all hear this. I need to hear this today. When you're discipling a person, your goal is to let them be greater than you. When you're walking with a person in a discipleship relationship that is wanting to be discipled, your goal is to elevate them up to a level of greater leadership than yourself. That just don't make sense according to the word though, Paul. The world, but it does make sense according to the word because Jesus said those who are last are first in the kingdom of heaven and those who are first in the world are last in the kingdom of heaven. So if we do this and we make the people that God puts in our life and we say, you can do this. You are gonna be so great at this. I know that you can preach this word, Garrett Bowman. I know that you'll be able to love people and restore them, Carlton Todd. You're speaking life into people. Enemy is trying to take it out of them and you're speaking life into them because God is going to get the glory and one day they're going to have a light switch moment and they're going to know their name and nothing that this, the enemy can do will ever be able to take it away from them again they'll be able to walk through hell and fire and be able to stand untouched because the spirit of God will be on them but we have to be Barnabases we have to hold their arms up when they don't believe in themselves but that takes time and energy and sacrifice and most ultimately, it takes me being less and them being more. And that's just a thing that I struggle with. How do I let somebody that I love be more than me? Because God said, I sent my son for you, Paul, that he became less so that you could live. He died so you could live. I don't think it's a coincidence that 12 years after Saul's conversion, after all the ups and downs of the story that y'all heard, do you imagine the amount of conversations that was going on when James had his head cut off? The amount of doubt that might have came over these men and women's minds 
of being able to stop and just run and say, it ain't worth it. We'll just go ahead and just jump back in the law. We'll get back in the status quo. Out of all these times, Saul is recognized in Scripture as Paul, and he leads these men out. Barnabas is an encourager. He was encouraging him at the first moment that he met him, and he told the rest of these apostles and these, these leaders of the church, I believe in him. I'll take him. I'll take him. So we as the believers should stay in one of these two places every day of our lives. Every day of our lives, these are one of the two places we need to ask God to give us the strength to be in. Today, you're either sitting in a place to be encouraged or you're in a place to be an encourager. And there's a, you can be encouraged and encourage people. That's discipleship. But if you're not if you're in this room and you're not having people speak life and positive life over you, I pray from the deepest part of my heart that you will find that God will put a man or a woman in your life that will speak life over you. Because we've all had these soul moments when we said, I'm just not mad, I'm not good enough. But oh, power to God when you have that man or woman that comes and says, I believe in you. You can't see it right now, but I know God's going to do good things through you. It ain't about you. You just keep on pushing forward. You're going to see God's hand move. So you have to either be encouraged or position yourself to encourage someone. And when you position yourself to encourage someone, see, CV, I'm off the stage now. I don't even know where we're going. But I'm going to tell you something. If I don't position myself to encourage you, we will spend years together and I'll never be able to pour into you the full potential that God has for me. See, in order to, to really, really follow scripture and how do you encourage something, I have to position myself. What does that mean? That I have to start praying for him, number one. Then if God tells me I have to start reaching out to him and tell him that I love him and I believe in him, then I have to ask him if we could sit down with one another. And that is at the one moment where CB has to make a decision whether he wants to sit down with me or not because I know there's God's part, there's my part, there's his part, and God's going to always do his part, but am I going to be obedient to do my part? And then he'll have to do his part, and that's how you position yourself to encourage people but if we don't position ourselves because of the distractions of the world God's glory is going to still happen it's just we're not going to get to see those moments so who's encouraging you ask that question yourself right now who in your life is encouraging you Second question, who are you encouraging? Are you encouraging someone who wants to grow and learn and wants to submit and be able to figure out the ways of God? Are you encouraging a person where it talks about in Matthew 7, it says, do not cast your pearls before swine that they will trample on it and turn and devour you because you can't encourage people that need to be sent to Tarsus. And that ain't going to work. They just got to sit in it a little bit. So who are you encouraging? And if you can't name a person who's encouraging you or who you are encouraging, I would humbly ask that you come and find me and say, I need to have coffee with you. I want to fix this. And I ain't going to say I'll have all the answers at the time we sit down, but I will promise you that I will pray with you 
love you and encourage you as the Spirit of God works it out in you. And if it's not me, somebody on our team will take that place. Amen? Who is Barnabas? What did he do? He's an encourager. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy, my bride. Words of encouragement spoken over people will change lives forever. And don't get caught up if the scales are on the eyes of individuals. Only God and that person can remove those scales. You may not even be hearing the words I've preached today. It's because God's not opened your ears and your heart to hear the good news of the gospel. Our prayers of, of the church is that you someday will. Because it gives you a joy and a peace like nothing else. Let us pray. Father, we come to you. Again, we thank you, Lord, for this communion that we get to take. And Lord God, we ask that you would bless it. And that it would let us come to a place of a realization of what your son Jesus did for us, Father. God, because of your son and his sacrifice that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. So, Father God, Lord, through the Spirit, will you search our hearts that if we have anything against you or against another brother or sister, that we would search our hearts and lay it down before we come to the altar, that we would ask for forgiveness and we would forgive others as we partake in the communion. And Lord God, we ask that your word today would pierce our hearts and our minds to let our spirit be led by you, God, to be the light of everywhere we step. We thank you, Father. We just praise you. You are a mighty God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Before